What would you say is your best life now? What's your best life now? Back in 2004, a man named Joel Osteen wrote a book, a best-selling book, a New York Times best-selling book bearing that title. And he offered seven easy steps to live a life that's full of potential and a life full of blessing and wealth and health and satisfaction and happiness and popularity. But what if seeking your best life now, according to Joel, meant that you would live your worst life imaginable in the world to come? A a better question to ask and answer would be this. What is your best life now, according to Jesus? And we find an answer to that profound question in our passage this morning. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 17. And we're going to be reading down through verse 26 over the course of our time together. But let me just remind you what we've seen so far in our studies of Luke's gospel. Jesus has begun his public ministry. He started back in Nazareth where he preached a sermon in his hometown synagogue. And he has been preaching and teaching throughout Capernaum in the north near the Sea of Galilee. And in the passage that we're about to read right before it, Jesus has just reached a decisive moment in his public ministry. He has prayerfully chosen his 12 apostles. You see that in verses 12 to 16. And so we we pick up the story that Luke sets for us right there in verse 17. Follow along. And Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. So right after Jesus calls his apostles to him, he comes down from the mountain. We're not told if he goes all the way to the bottom. We're told that he comes to a level place. So perhaps it was a level place on the mountain or maybe it was at the the bottom of the mountain. We're not told. But what we are told is there's a crowd there. We're told that there's a great crowd, a multitude. And did you notice where Luke says these, these people came from? They came from far and wide. They came from the south. We're told they came from Jerusalem and Judea. And they came as far away as from Tyre and Sidon in the north. So these people are streaming to Jesus. And we're told why. They wanted to hear him, but also to be healed from all of their diseases and afflictions. And we're told right there in verse 19, all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out of him. And notice this phrase, he healed them all. So these these people who are suffering from all of these, a variety of afflictions, whether it's possession or physical ailments, they are being healed by Jesus. He is this prophet who is mighty in deeds. But now he's going to reveal himself to be the prophet who's also mighty in words. He is the the great prophet that was expected to come, this prophet like Moses. And so what we find beginning right there in verse 20, 
if you flip your page in the Bible, all the way to the end of chapter six is a sermon that's often referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. And it's very similar to the Sermon on the Mount recorded in Matthew 5 to 7. And you can read all kinds of different connections about these two sermons. Many people think of this as a sermon that was, it's a a version of the Sermon on the Mount that's just compressed for us by Luke. But the point of this passage is this. In these verses, in verses 20 to 26, what we find is that Jesus says some things that are utterly astounding. Jesus says things that have remained shocking for 2,000 years. Jesus says things that destroy all worldly expectations of what it means to follow him. Jesus shatters all conventional thinking and he flips the world's expectations of what blessing means upside down. What does he say? Let's listen to what he says. Verse 20. And Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. In this short passage, Jesus reveals two paradoxically amazing things. Number one, very simple outline. Number one, Jesus describes the blessed life in verses 20 to 23. And Jesus describes the cursed life in verses 24 to 26. The blessed life and the cursed life according to Jesus. That's what this passage is about. And my prayer for each one of us is that we would all find every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ alone. That's my prayer. So let's look at number one. What is the blessed life according to Jesus? What we find in these opening verses are a series of four beatitudes. Now, kids, you may, maybe didn't use the word beatitude. When I say beatitude, I'm just referring to that little word. If you look in your Bibles, the word blessed. You see that? Blessed. It shows up four times. Now, in the Old Testament, you don't see the word beatitude. The word that shows up in the Old Testament is the word benediction. So you're familiar probably. Maybe your parents pray this over you when you go to bed. So in, 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 in the book of Numbers, this is the, the, the benediction that Moses told Aaron to bless the people of Israel with. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. 
That, that is the priestly blessing. Well, in the Old Testament, it's a benediction. But in the New Testament, it's referred to often these types of blessings as beatitudes. These are pronouncements of God's blessing on certain individuals. And you can notice in this passage, in these beatitudes, Jesus is directing these beatitudes, these blessings to his disciples. Do you see that? He lifted up his eyes on his disciples. So what we're going to see is these these blessings are not just indiscriminately to anybody. They're for followers of Jesus Christ, genuine followers of Jesus who've trusted and who are following him. And instead of thinking of these groups as four different groups, it's, it's just a fourfold description of a disciple of Christ. That's what we find here. It's not four different groups. There's a fourfold way of describing what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, let's start with the first one because the first one's the key. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What what does Luke mean by poor? Now, certainly God has a heart for the poor. God's people have a heart for the poor. But when we see the word poor in Luke, we don't want to confine ourselves to simply thinking that Jesus has in mind only those who are economically poor. Jesus defined poor back in Luke chapter four. When Jesus preached his sermon, opening sermon in his synagogue there in Nazareth in Luke chapter four, do you remember what he did? He quoted from the prophet of the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah 61, remember? And he said, he said, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me, right? To what? To proclaim good news to who? Y'all can can talk. I know you have masks on. Good news to who? Good news to the poor. He's quoting Isaiah and he says, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And if you go back and look at Isaiah 61, the poor are clearly defined as those who are relying on God alone for their salvation. Those who are trusting in God's Messiah and his deliverance and his redemption alone. That's who the poor are. The Messiah came into the world to bring good news and blessing to those who know they are spiritually bankrupt. To those who know they are spiritually destitute. To the wretched, to the poor. Jesus pronounces a blessing over the spiritually poor. Now, just in your mind, you might write down uh, Philippians chapter three, a great cross reference to see what I'm getting at. Remember when the apostle Paul, when he was Rabbi Saul on the road to Damascus, if you were to stop him before he met Jesus and said, Saul, give me your resume spiritually, what would he have said? He would have said, I'm rich. What? Born on the eighth day, circumcised the eighth day, the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But then he met Jesus, remember? And he said, whatever is gained to me, now I count it as what? Loss. It's loss. He's recognizing he's poor. He's a beggar in the sight of God. That his only righteousness is in Christ. So by poor, Jesus is talking about those who are spiritually destitute. 
So part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, right off the bat, Jesus is saying, this is what it means to be a follower of me. It means that you know, you recognize in yourself that you're morally and spiritually bankrupt in the eyes of a holy God in yourself. Isaiah would later say that our righteousness before God is like what? It's like filthy rags. Martin Luther, the great reformer in Germany, his last words recorded before he died were simple. He said this, we are beggars. This is true. So this is what Jesus is saying. Those who know they have absolutely nothing to commend themselves before God who come to God with empty hands like spiritual beggars, Jesus pronounces, you are blessed. You're blessed. You're blessed because then he says, for yours is the kingdom of God. Not will be, is. Don't you love that little word is? Yes, you will. You will there's a kingdom coming, but right now, if you are trusting in Christ, Yours is the kingdom right now. This same blessing by Jesus is pronounced to the hungry and to the weeping. You see this? Believers are hungry. They're seeking help from Jesus to satisfy them. The Lord satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul. He fills with good things. Psalm 107, 9. The weeping are those who encounter heartache and pain because they're following Christ. How do we know that? Look at the next verse. Look at verse 22. Blessed are you when people, listen to this list, hate you, exclude you, revile you, and spurn your name as evil. Now notice this is the most important phrase in the passage. Look at the last phrase. Because you're a jerk? Because you post stupid things on Facebook? No. What does it say? On account of the Son of Man. It's hatred, animosity. It, 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 it's, 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 it's ill will towards you because you are following Jesus. And so, brothers and sisters, if we are following Christ faithfully in this world, we need to be reminded right in this passage, we will not be winning any popularity contests. We may have for several hundred years enjoyed a kind of cultural uh, popularity in this country. But brothers and sisters around the world, many of our brothers and sisters in Christ have never, ever thought that they would ever be popular in their culture. And Jesus says, you will be hated, you will be excluded, you will be spurned all because of me. The world will hate you, but you need to know this morning, Christian, you are blessed by God Almighty. Now, listen, it, Jesus needs to get a new PR department, doesn't he? I mean, if you're if you got think about it, there's this massive multitude. There's the crowd. Everybody's there. He's a, he's going to start his sermon off. It's like he's not read how to win friends and influence people. He, he hasn't read your best life now. He's not into seeker-friendly recruitment. The key to understanding these Beatitudes is the contrast Jesus makes from now 
to future. Do you see it? It runs all the way through it. What he contrasts your present experience with your future reality that you're going to experience. You see it? Look, look again. Do you see verse 21? He contrasts between now and the future. You shall be satisfied. Now you weep, but future you shall laugh. You may be poor in the eyes of the world right now, but in Christ, the kingdom of God belongs to you. You may be hungry now, but the promises of Jesus will bring you perfection and eternal satisfaction. You may weep now, but Jesus promises a day when weeping is gone, when tears will be no more, and when the bitter sound of crying will be replaced by an eternity of laughter and singing and joy. Jesus says that even though you're hated and excluded and reviled now, you have a reward in heaven that is beyond all imagination. So, brothers and sisters, this is a reminder to us to ask ourselves, where are we placing our hope? Where is your hope, Christian, this morning? If your hope is here, on this earth, it, it, it's not going to last. Hebrews says, for we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is what? To come. So one of my heroes is a man named John Bunyan. You've probably heard of John Bunyan. He was a poor man. He was an uneducated tinkerer, which meant he repaired pots for a living, steel pots. That's what he did. He was the greatest preacher of his generation in all of London, in all of England. And because he was a Baptist, he was imprisoned because he wouldn't stop preaching without a license. And he kept on preaching. He just went out into the jail yard and preached. People came from miles around to hear John Bunyan preach. He was in prison for 12 years. He was, he's in prison twice, but one time he was in prison for 12 years. While he was in prison, all he had to do was stop preaching. They let him out. While he was in prison, he wrote a book. You know it. Pilgrim's Progress. It's the most widely published book in the English language, only behind the King James Bible. And Bunyan persevered through his hunger and through his heartache and through his hardship by setting his hope on the heavenly city that he was going to. His world, this world was not his home. And this is from the end of Pilgrim's Progress. Let me just give you a taste. If you've not read it, just leave right now. I'm just kidding. No, you don't have to leave. If you haven't read it, ask me about it. I'll get you a copy. I'd love for you to read it. It's wonderful. At the end of it, this is what, this is what happens to the pilgrims. The pilgrims spoke about the glory of the heavenly Jerusalem and the beauty of it was inexpressible. The angel said to them, you are going to the paradise of God where you shall see the tree of life and eat of its never fading fruits. And you shall have white robes given to you and you shall walk and talk every day with the king, even all the days of eternity. And you will not see sorrow or sickness or affliction or death for the former things have passed away, but you shall receive comforts from all your toils and have joy from all your sorrows and reap what you've sown, even the fruit of your tears and prayers and sufferings in all of your journey for the king. And in that place, you will wear crowns of gold and enjoy the perpetual sight of the Holy One 
for there you shall see him as he is. And you shall serve him with praise and shouting and thanksgiving. Him whom you desired to serve in the world, but through much difficulty. And there you shall see your friends again, those who have gone before you. And there you shall receive with joy all of those who follow you to this holy place. And there your eyes shall be delighted with seeing and your ears shall be delighted with hearing the pleasant voice of the mighty one forever. Brothers and sisters, do you hear in that description of heaven the fact that that benediction will become a reality? And the Lord's face shine upon you. We will see his face and will never depart from his presence. That's the blessed life that Jesus holds out and promises for all who trust in him. That's the blessed life according to Jesus. What's the cursed life? What's the cursed life? Look at verses 24 to 26. After pronouncing four blessings, Jesus pronounces four woes. The word woe, we don't use the word woe. It, 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 it's a word that means judgment or condemnation. Remember in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, if you read Isaiah uh, chapters one to five, the prophet pronounces six woes on unbelieving uh, nations. He says, woe, 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 woe. And then he gets to number seven. And that's chapter six of Isaiah. He sees the Lord high and lifted up. And what does Isaiah say? Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean, who have unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king. That's the word that Jesus is using. He's pronouncing a prophetic woe. I don't have the time to do it, but if you just take these, these beatitudes, they correspond like the mirror image of those beatitudes are the woes. They, they, they match each other if you just look at them. And it's clear from this sudden contrast that Jesus makes as he's preaching to this massive crowd, he has in mind those in the crowd who claim to be his followers, but who are not. Listen to what he says, verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did the false prophets. You'll notice in these verses, did you see? There's no reference to suffering for the sake of Christ. Do you see that? There's no reference to following the Son of Man. There's no reference to Jesus at all. And if you even look down in verse 27, Jesus is going to make another contrast which indicates to me that, again, he doesn't have in mind here genuine followers of Christ. Who are the rich? Who are the full? Who are the, those who are laughing? Who are those who all people speak well of? Well, I take Jesus to be certainly not talking about exclusively those who are financially rich, just like he wasn't talking about those who were exclusively materially poor either. Jesus has in mind the spiritually complacent. 
Jesus has in mind the spiritually deceived, the spiritually self-satisfied, those who have no sense at all of their desperate and urgent need for God's saving grace. At the conclusion, look at your Bibles. uh, So don't look at me, look at your Bibles. Look at the end of of Luke chapter six. Jesus is gonna describe two kinds of people. Those who build their house on a firm foundation and those who build their house on no foundation. Matthew in his gospel, he says they build their, their house on what? Sand. And that's, that's the same dichotomy that we find in these blessings and woes. The people he's talking to have built their house with no foundation. They're building their lives on something other than Christ and his word. And so Jesus gives this fourfold description. The rich, the full, the laughing, and the liked. And Jesus pronounces judgment upon them. He references there at the end, you see the, he references the false prophets. Do you see that? Jesus has said similar things already to the spiritual leaders of Israel, the Pharisees and the scribes. He's called them false prophets. Remember, Jesus has said to those spiritual leaders, he came into the world not to call the righteous, but who? Sinners to repentance. People who know that they need help from a doctor, right? He came to call the sick, right? And so what Jesus is saying is that you will not receive and follow the savior of sinners if you don't understand yourself to be a sinner. You won't look for God's grace if you don't think you need God's grace. And so Jesus warns his hearers with these words of woe. John, the apostle, says the same thing in Revelation 3. He says to the church at Laodicea, you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus will say later on to the Pharisees and the scribes, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. So, Let me summarize these woes. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is warning anyone in that crowd and through his word and by his spirit, he's warning anyone among us this morning who is falsely professing to follow him, who's following him in a way that is fake and phony. Jesus says, enjoy your consolation while it lasts because it's not going to last past this life. Jesus is saying, You're wick, you wicked rich, you will outlive your money. Your consolation will end when your life ends. Jesus is saying, your worm will never die. Your laughter will end when your life ends. You will have weeping and gnashing of teeth. Your praise will end when your life ends. And you will enter an eternity of hunger, an eternity of weeping, an eternity of mourning and never ending woe is all that will be left for you. Christian, passages like this are reminders to us 
of what we can expect as followers of Jesus in this world. We will be slandered. We will be, vi- we will be reviled. When we hold firmly and humbly, but firmly, to what God's word teaches about God, about man and woman made in his image, about gender, about marriage, about sexuality, about all of these things, about salvation that comes only through faith in Christ. If we hold these things, we will be mocked and reviled and hated, reviled and hated for it. But Jesus is reminding us, even with these woes, that a single day in hell will be far worse than a whole life spent carrying his cross. Jesus is saying a single moment in the kingdom of heaven will be greater than any and all of the passing pleasures of sin. And friend, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to know something. Notice in these future tense verbs that Jesus uses. You may be thinking, I don't really need Christ. Things are going well for me. But Jesus is pointing you to the future. Jesus is trying to lift your eyes to what's coming in the life to come. Jesus is teaching, even by using this word woe, he's using this word to remind each one of us that hell is real, hell is horrible, and hell is forever. The most loving person in the whole universe, Jesus Christ, spoke more about hell than any other person in the Bible. And what he says here is that your life and my life is a vapor. We're here one minute and gone the next. What you do now, what you do now matters for eternity. You may leave here and never hear God's gospel ever again. So today, if you hear his voice, his, his call to you is to humble yourself and to turn and trust in him. What he's saying is that we will all stand before this holy God. We will either wear our rags of righteousness or we will wear his robe of righteousness that's perfect and spotless. The God who made us calls us to live for him, but we haven't. And he has provided this Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be our substitute sacrifice. This righteousness that we require, this perfection that we desperately need, is not something we earn or do. It's something we receive as a gift. It's something we receive in the empty hands of faith. And that's what Jesus offers any and all this morning who will turn and trust in him. The wonder of wonders for me as I pondered this passage is that the very same one, friend, who spoke these words of woe, the same one who spoke these words of blessing and cursing, was the one who became a curse for us on the cross. He secured endless blessing, the blessed one himself, by going to the cross where he bore the curse of God in our place for our sins. What did it cost him to say to you, blessed are you? 
It cost him everything. And he did it out of his love and grace. Brothers and sisters, as a church, we have the joy of going to the Lord's table together today. We take the bread and the cup. We have a a token and a pledge. We have a sign and a seal of our Savior's dying love for us. We have a visible sermon preaching that the one who died rose again for our justification is sitting at God's right hand and is coming again for us. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And the supper is that reminder to us. And when he comes, we will be gathered with all of God's people. And we will be gathered from every tribe and nation and tongue and there will be no more sin. And he will wipe away every tear from all faces and death shall be no more. And there'll be no more crying or pain or mourning anymore. And it will come to pass on that day. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make a for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. Of rich food, full of marrow and of aged wine, well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people. He will take away from the earth for the Lord has spoken. Brothers and sisters, the poor shall be made rich. The hungry shall be satisfied. The weeping shall laugh. And those who were hated in this life for the sake of the Savior will say on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is our God. We have waited for him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. If you're trusting in Christ, rejoice today and leap for joy, for great is your reward in heaven. Would you pray with me? A gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy to us, for the love that you have lavished upon us, that you didn't consign us and destined us to wrath, but you have destined us for salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who died for us, who gave himself for us so that whether we wake or sleep, we might be forever with him. Oh, Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your son. And we pray by your spirit, the spirit of adoption, we would know that we are loved this morning, that we are your children and that you've given us your spirit, the down payment of our future inheritance, that one day we will see you face to face. Oh Lord, bless us today. Guard our hearts. Help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.